Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Inside Business Podcast with me, Laura Slattery. Later, I'll be talking to Owen Burke-Kennedy about the new Labour Force Survey and what it says about the state of employment. First, new research by the Irish Congress of Trade Unions has highlighted a large and widening gap between CEO pay and average earnings that it says will inevitably lead to greater inequality. So why is this happening and why do these CEOs think they're worth it? To discuss this, we have Dr. Peter Rigney, who is a co-author of the report. And we're also joined by Tracy Keevans from recruitment company Morgan McKinley, who helps multinationals find senior executives for their Irish operations. Irish Times journalist Mark Paul, who's been writing on the topic for us this week, is also here. Peter, if I can come to you first and ask you, first of all, what did this study find? Well, it's the second in what is an annual series of studies. We surveyed 20, 27 Irish companies and it found a couple of things. It found a continuing increase in total pay for most C- for CEOs in most companies. Um, it found an increasing emphasis on bonus rather than basic pay. Um, it found also, because we each year we look at a specialised aspect, it found the distance we have to go to achieve gender diversity on boards and that uh, a lot of some companies who are allegedly part of, of the, the London Code um, are not fulfilling the recommendation. It is only a recommendation that companies should have 25% or at least two women on the board. Uh, we then also did the ratio that we did last year is how many years would it take for a person on average earnings to to, to earn the, the, pay, the pay of the CEO in an individual company. And then we had a look at fees paid to uh, paid to board members, which produced some interesting interesting results. I would say at the beginning that this is not about people. Mm. It's about systems. And that the people in the companies that are in this report know when they take up the job that their pay will be public. But they are the tip of the iceberg because in private companies, people can get paid what they like and it'll never go into, into the public view. So the research needs to be taken with that caveat that there are plenty more people, CEOs out there, whose pay will never be made public because they're behind the veil of corporate secrecy. But in a way, this is indicative of the large gap we see between the sort of the top person in an organisation and the the, the, the the lowest worker in, in the organisation and also just the, the average the average wage. And I think in one case you found um, that it would take 
someone on average earnings 270 years to earn uh, what a what the CEO of a company yes. earns in a year. Yes. Now, I think that, that was year went, H, but... It went up from a mere 151 years in the same company <laughs> last year. Yeah, I mean, that was that was uh, the year H, which is obviously Ireland's yeah, well, biggest company, but, yeah. but the, even with, you know, much less successful companies, we see really stark numbers, 60, 70 mm. years it would take mm. someone to earn what, it, what a CEO earns. And this, I, thought, I found this report fascinating, and I'm just wondering: were you surprised by 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 how I, how big? Well, in it, a way, I'm I'm not surprised because if you look at at other advanced industrial countries in Northern Europe, this debate is being led by shareholder associations like the German Shareholders Association um, or the Investment Association in Britain. But there's a total lack of debate on this issue in 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 Dublin. For example, if you looked yesterday on the Carillion collapse. You find some scathing comments about boardroom remuneration in Carillion. And you might immediately think if you saw the quote, say, oh, that must be Jeremy Corbyn or John McDonnell. In fact, it's the Institute of Directors. But this this debate doesn't doesn't seem to have uh, to have arrived in Dublin. And it was interesting in another media outlet today in the comment section, somebody there was a comment on this and somebody says, sure, it's their own money. But this is the fundamental contradiction. It's not their own money. It's shareholders money. And the decision is normally made by remuneration committees. Um, to to award uh, pay to the, the chief executive and in some cases the senior team. And in many cases, the structure of that through the bonus has become so complex that in, in well, in Britain, the Investment Association have said that the, many people on, on individual uh, uh, remunerations committee don't understand the bonus element of the pay they're awarding. Okay, so there's a few different things in there. And it's interesting, you mentioned the Carillion case mm-hmm. and it's the Institute of Directors. And, and one of the people they're criticising is the former chief executive, Richard Housen, who, mm-hmm. who uh, it seems like he was continue, he was in line to yeah. continue to receive very high salaries mm-hmm. even after he resigned uh, mm-hmm. amid a profit warning mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. So this kind of points to another issue that I think you've raised, whereby it's not even the case necessarily that uh, these CEOs are being rewarded for very strong, uh, good performance of their companies. That's not you're saying that doesn't really always follow. Look, there's an academic debate about that. Is is does the structure of CEO rewards lead to good companies? And and the question is very very open. Uh, the, what happened in Carillion is there is a there is a thing, and you'll find it buried within the corporate reporting section called bonus and what is called malice, which is the Latin for bad, and the 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 facility to withdraw a bonus if things go bad in a company. Now, it appears, and it appears on, on, on a very uh, cursory look at the thing, that the Carillion directors decided to cut out the malice bit and award themselves the bonuses, nevertheless. And uh, that, that's that's pretty serious. Well, it is, I guess, if taxpayers have to foot the bill in the UK for that for for that well, collapse. Appears, and we have plenty of experience of taxpayers having to foot the bill. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, Tracy, I'll come to you next. Um, do, you, do you get a sense that CEO pay is is spiralling, or how would you assess the, the latest trends for for executive pay? Well, I think um, Peter's report is specific to the the PLC and the semi-state commercial organisations. Um, my role overseeing our foreign direct investment practice would give more visibility um, on the US multinationals. I think one of the key differentials or differences is the, the Irish businesses surveyed here, headquartered here, and very often have global um, operations, whereas the US or, or Canadian or, or European operations that are here are headquartered elsewhere. So the remit of responsibility isn't as great. Um, that said, I would think there's more accountability um, for CEOs of Irish 
led organisations that are that are headquartered here than maybe there are for some of those because the level of responsibility and remit um, isn't as as great. Um, what is similar um, from the report is the level of um, base pay, which in the overall I think was less than fifty percent, and the rest was um, typically levelled towards long term incentive plans, and that's certainly the direction of a lot of the the US multinationals as well. They are very focused on um, generating incentives for the individual to perform and they have a vested interest that their restricted stock units or um, stock options um, will enable them to have um, a greater say in the performance of the, the business and a greater return as a result of their own performance. So it's it's motivating and driving better performance. So that, that's the idea that, mm-hmm. that your performance is tied in with uh, the performance of the company, that, it, that if, if, you're, if you're overseeing a failure then you too, you too will suffer the financial effects. But does, does that happen then in, in practice? Does that follow through to reality? Um, it, it does in most cases um, that, that we're seeing, certainly within the sectors. Um, again, if they're, if from, for instance, if we say a US parent organisation in, in the US, um, employment law is very different. They have at will and where they can fire somebody for non-performance from, from day one, it's it's less judged by jury or, or investors within the business having having their say. But ultimately, if somebody is not performing, um, they will be held accountable, um, but it will be results by numbers. And so if they're not generating the numbers, then, then yes. Uh, and we've seen it. We've seen people removed um, from higher positions. But due to dearth and talent shortages and leadership skills, um, I think in the, the case you were talking about, these people are still employable, employed um, elsewhere. That's, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because you can be you can be in charge of a, of a failure and maybe you weren't to blame completely mm-hmm. for that, for a business failure. Perhaps it was bad timing, um, but you can still walk into another job at a, at a similar level. You can. I mean, it depends on how profile the organisation is, and if it's within the the same set, the same um, sector. A lot of these sectors tend to be well networked, um, but you know the the reasons for that failure will be very visible um, to that sector. But um, if it's deemed that it's not the individual's sole responsibility, then yes, they are employable. So the the pro the the, the pro in theory of, of long term incentive plans is that your performance is tied to that of the company, but is the con that there's maybe slightly less transparency around these uh, schemes and, and other bonuses is it's kind of hard from the outside looking in to sort of assess what you know why is somebody getting a million and somebody else getting five hundred thousand as a bonus. Well, if it's a, if it's a publicly quoted company um, on the US and the Nasdaq, they do have an obligation to declare where they're particularly the type of stock options or long long term incentive plans that they're issuing. They would be um, obligated to issue an announcement to the marketplace that this is the allocation that's been made to the individual. So, but it's transparency maybe in a US market as opposed to it being local here. So it's not as visible to the local market here. Okay, that's very interesting. Mark, um, Congress says the debate on high CEO pay in Ireland lags behind the debate that it, that's been had in other countries. It has it has a point, doesn't it? Yeah, we don't really have the, the culture over here of of shareholder rebellions. We, we you know it's 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 not in in the UK. They're a little bit more um, forward thinking, maybe in this. Maybe their maybe their shareholders or their shareholder organisations are a bit chippier over there. I think perhaps. Um, look, if pressure is to come on executive pay, if 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 executive pay is seen as excessive. It has to come from shareholders and shareholder groups, institutional shareholders. We've had sort of, 
we wouldn't call them rebellions. We've had sort of uh, mini revolts in, in, in companies like Kingspanner and Greencore recently, or um, most recently, I think, Arista, that sort of Swiss-Irish bakery company. Nearly half of the directors there, of, of the shareholders, I'm sorry, um, voted against the remuneration report at the last um, chance they got. Now, Arista has special circumstances. It's gone through a terrible period um, of, of, of turmoil, and this was a way for the shareholders to really express their dissatisfaction. But we don't have a culture in Ireland of shareholders standing up and saying, you know what, I'm not happy with how the company's performing. I'm not happy with how much the executives are paying themselves via the remuneration committee and we're going to vote against this. The votes that they have aren't binding anyway. They're just advisory votes. They're just like, um, it's like flashing a yellow card or a red card. It's, uh, it's, it's just a vote of protest. Um, so it, it, it all falls into the general area of corporate governance and we're not really terribly good in a lot of ways at corporate governance in Ireland. Irish listed companies have to follow UK corporate governance guidelines um, and and there are, like if you look at, leaving aside pay for a second, if you look at some companies that are listed on the Irish Stock Exchange, from a corporate governance point of view, um, 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 they don't meet the guidelines. Now, the principle of the guidelines is comply or explain and you can sort of make yourself meet the guidelines even if you're not. But if you look at you know, companies like independent news and media where they don't have enough independent directors on the board. Ryanair doesn't have enough independent directors on the board. And um, if you look at Kingspan, where you have the former chief executive um, is now the chairman of the company and he's the father of the new chief executive, that's completely against corporate governance guidelines. But Irish shareholders don't really seem to uh, uh, to give a damn about this sort of stuff. There's not enough um, hassle made of it. As to whether or not the CEOs and CEO pay is worth it with Irish listed companies, you know, look, I suppose it depends on the company. If you look at CRH, um, Albert Manifold, looking at, at, at Peter's report, Albert Manifold got um, 10 million euros uh, in the total pay package in 2016. It's a lot of money. 4.8, I think, of that came in, in, in the form of a long-term incentive plan. CRH is a very, very successful company. Um, it had been through a difficult period before Albert Manifold took over, and now it's doing very, very well. So he might argue, you know, like L'Oreal, he's worth it. Um, and that's really up to the, to, the, to, the, to the CEO or the CRH shareholders uh, 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 to stand up and, and say if they're not. In general, in, in, in British companies, CEOs tend to be paid about 95 to 100 times as high as their average but workers. Is anyone worth that much? Is anyone worth that? Well, look, if, if you're a shareholder and the CEO has made you a bunch of money, if, you own a, if you're an institutional shareholder and you've got a stake of 100 million or 200 million quid in this company and a year later it's, it's worth 20% more, he's made you a bunch of money. You can pay himself what he likes. And, and you, can, you, can, you can vote against his pay packet or her pay packet if you disagree with it. Um, but I, 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 as an observer, I would like to see Irish shareholders and institutional shareholders be a little bit more forceful in this regard, with, specifically with listed companies now. Be more forceful um, and be willing to stand up, be willing to complain about corporate governance issues. We don't have a culture from it and I don't know where that culture is going to come from. And should, should investors in particular be more um, ready to make a distinction between those CEOs who have, who have founded their companies and could be argued to have created the wealth, mm. you know, within them and those who've come in later on yeah. and they're essentially executive caretakers yeah, yeah. they inherit the architecture of the company and their main job is to screw it up and ideally grow the business but 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 they're they haven't created it. From, they haven't founded they, they, they it. They haven't founded the company or built it up. And, and, and who has really added the value to the company? You know, that can work both ways as well. You know, you can be a CEO that can come into a company and the die is already cast. The thing is already going to hit the wall. It wasn't your decisions um, 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 that made the company hit the wall, which you have to get in there and clean it up. So You're it, the it, rescue it, specialist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it, it can work positively or negatively. CEOs sometimes have to account for decisions that they didn't make that the last CEO made. And they're dealing with the consequences two years down the line. It's all about designing remuneration packages that are focused on... 
long-term um, performance as opposed to short-term. And that's really the lesson that I hope Irish shareholders have learned since the last crash. An awful lot of remuneration um, um, systems uh, with Irish PLCs were too focused on short-term bonuses. And um, then, you know, uh, uh, the economy went south and, and, and those bonus reward systems were shown up for what they were, too short-term. Hopefully they've learned their lesson and maybe they're more focused on the long term and, and total shareholder value. Peter, those, those um, incentives, they were short term, but also they were tied to the wrong metrics perhaps during the crash. Uh, you know, people were being rewarded for <laughs> issuing very bad loans a lot of the time and it, it all came undone. Is there a risk that, you know, we'll see uh, something like sh- that again? I think we shouldn't conflate the banking sector with, with business as a whole. Um, most of the banking sector because government have influence now their pay is locked down and there are no bonuses in play uh, however there was a thing called the Financial Times City Network and, and operating under Chatham House rules and one person described it as a city grandee said that quote capitalism had been hijacked by the managerial class and that the rewards of owner entrepreneurs are being made available to managerial employees so I think there is a distinction there between people who start a company and build it up from nothing and people who are hired to, hired to manage it and there there is there is very varying degrees of bad and good practice like there are companies there and one of them is actually Kingspan the other is CNC who say we benchmark our CEO against the following companies so you can follow that through I think Smurfit Capital does it also. Mm. There are many companies that don't. Um, some, you know, so, some companies it's it's easier to extract information than others. Um, and one of the one of the uh, the C- CIPD in Britain, and again, I ha- hate harping back to to Britain, but there's actually a debate going in Britain on this issue. Unlike here, said that as par- part of the annual part of company law reform, um, pay ratios should be part of company annual reports, and also a true picture of um, of employment. So, for example, one company that we're dealing with as part of their employees mentions the number of wholesale equivalent employees, contractors, mm. uh, and outsourced. But, of course, there's a market, though, for all of these CEOs. I mean, as, as, as I'm yeah. sure Tracy knows best, I mean, I mean, you can bring in the fairest rules in the world, yeah. but if that brings down CEO pay and companies can't get the CEOs they want, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know how we, Irish rates yeah. compare. Tracy, are we being terribly unfair to the, to the so-called managerial class? Is, is it a case of the, the market will decide how much these people are worth? The market and the sector, I mean, it, it, there is very... Uh, you can even see it in the report here and, and, the, and the companies, there's a big disparity between certain sectors and what they pay and what they're willing to pay. Um, certainly, you know, we would see in our area, the technology, life science, financial services sectors tend to be um, the best paid. Um, it's also, I know you, you'd mentioned earlier about um, the pipeline of, of, of talent coming through and, and, and female talent coming through at, at, at leadership level. And, and Peter, you referenced as well of what the, 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 the numbers were, the target numbers to have for each company. Um, we are seeing that there's a lack of pipeline um, of, mm. of you know, female leaders in particular that are coming through at, at CEO level, which is making it difficult for choices. What we do have, though, is uh, more international reach than we've had before. Um, I think Francesca McDonough is a very good example mm-hmm. with Bank of Ireland of somebody who had gone overseas, who had gotten very strong um, experience and is bringing that back to bear here and, and operating in as a much needed role model um, as, a, a, as a leader um, within a, a, an Irish um, PLC. Can I just pick up on, on that point mm. that, uh, that, that, that you found that London-based companies who were Irish registered were saying that they didn't have to follow... The London-based companies who are Irish registered say different things about the same legal, legal obligation. It's, it's too difficult yeah. to go through verbally. It's quite extraordinary though. But they, they, on the one hand, 
companies, other companies are saying we're covered by the London Code. And on the other hand, the Irish companies based in London saying we we don't, we are not obliged to implement this by, by British law, but we implement elements of it voluntarily. I actually understood that the Irish Stock Exchange uh, had sort of said you're supposed to be following these codes and these UK codes. <laughs> I, d- I don't know, but I mean, that's yeah. that's one of the things that came out when we included the Irish companies based in London is the, di- the differing forms of word being used to, to explain a legal obligation. And I would have imagined... Mm. That if if it was a legal obligation, you'd but, get a lawyer but, but to get know, to a standard you, form of work. But if you had a culture among shareholders and Irish institutional mm-hmm. shareholders of we will only stand for companies, we will only invest in companies yeah. who completely and utterly adhere to the code and don't just use the comply or explain rule to get around breaking the code, which is what a lot of them do. They don't comply with the rules on certain issues of corporate governance, yeah. certain Irish companies, and they they explain. But I mean, take Ryanair as as, as a prime example. Um, um, the the chairman of that company owns over two hundred million euros worth of stock in that company, which is technically. Um, which makes him non-independent um, and, 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 and technically that's a breach of the code but Ryanair comply with the code in his case by saying but he's of independent mind so therefore um, you, know, you, you know we comply because we say he complies and, and that's effectively what it comes down to and, and you know that's, that's the sort of thing that you want shareholders to stand up and say you know we're not going to stand for that we want an independent share but then you look at Ryanair and look at all the money they've made their shareholders and is the incentive there for shareholders to do it Well again we asked the Irish Association of Investment Managers who this year have a website, last year they didn't seem to have one, mm-hmm. uh, and they have guidance for institutional inv- in investors, and we asked for a copy of that guidance and we didn't get a reply. So it's not as if you know they, they were allowed a space to get into the debate and they chose not to take it up. Tracy, do, is there anything Irish PLCs can learn from the multinationals and vice versa, do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think it's the, the early stage in terms of, of building a strong pipeline of talent that's coming through the organisation that, that is able to, equipped with the leadership skills and encouraged to have those leadership skills. We've seen um, some of the, the US multinationals addressing, for instance, gender diversity, and they're be- being very transparent about it, and they're identifying, um, they're almost... Imp- um, bringing in their own quotas to say you know we really want we we have a we have a positive bias towards females for this particular role or, or, or males for another type of role that might be female-led to achieve gender balance and within their organisations. I think the biggest thing is transparency. They're, they have been very transparent here in how they wish to recruit talent for their organisations and what their longer-term role is and expectations within the organisation. My assumption would be that multinationals also pay very, very well. Is that the case? They, they do, but I'm looking at the, the pay yeah, outlined in this report. Here and, uh, yeah, <laughs> certainly they, they, they wouldn't be in line with the overall remuneration for these for the reasons I said global mm-hmm. versus um, more local operations and led um, but certainly they would be attractive um, but you know in terms of accountability it, it goes beyond a local market here it, it tends to be a global marketplace that they're accountable Okay well on, on that extremely well remunerated note <laughs> thank you very much to Peter, Tracy and Mark After the break we'll be talking about employment and how it's now measured in Ireland only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. The Central Statistics Office has changed how it keeps track of conditions in the Irish labour market. Owen Burke-Kennedy is here to tell us how and why. Owen, what's going on? 
Right, so uh, this week the CSO unveiled its new Labour Force Survey, which essentially replaces the quarterly National Household Survey as the kind of main indicator of what's going on in the Irish labour market. So this new survey deploys a slightly different methodology, uh, which I won't go into for the listener's sake, and incorporates revised population estimates from Census 2016, all of which, to cut a long story short, uh, result in changes to some of our headline metrics, like the size of the labour force, the number of people employed in the Irish economy, and of course the unemployment rate. So it's a more accurate snapshot. Yeah, so what, absolutely. What did it actually tell us then Right, this so, week? so there were some interesting nuggets that came out of it. So, for example, the total number of people employed in the Irish economy is now calculated at 2.2 million, which is actually 6% higher than we previously thought. Uh, headline unemployment was put at 6.2% in December. Now, if you're watching the figures closely like I am, uh, that's actually higher than the 6 point, the 6% uh, previously signalled under the old uh, data s- series. So... Um, is that a, pro- is that, that, a that's, worry? That's a, that sounds like a backward step, but the, the CSO is keen to point out that the headline trend in uh, in the labour market in terms of rising employment and falling unemployment is continuing. So it's, 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 the figures have just been kind of essentially changed to reflect a more accurate picture of the labour market as a whole. Now... The headline we ran in the paper today was the annual increase in employment in the 12 months to Q3 last year was 2.2% or 48,000 new jobs created in the Irish economy, which is kind of in line with the previous years. So the, the, the CSO are right to pinpoint the fact that it's it's continuing this jobs-rich growth. So we're still moving in the, in the right we're direction. We're totally moving in the right direction. And one of the big things that's coming up is on current projections, this means that we're going to eclipse the pre-crash peak in employment of 22 uh, 4 million recorded in 2007 later this year uh, essentially recouping all the jobs lost uh, during the crash which is a big milestone for any economy and what kind of jobs are being created are they the same jobs that we had before what's the difference yeah that's an interesting one uh, employment decreased across 10 of the 14 sectors uh, covered by the survey so the fastest growing sectors were in admin and support services which rose by 10% now, that covers a vast swathe of the services sector uh, here. There was also a 9% increase in employment in education. And, of course, construction. Employment in construction picked up by 7%. And this, of course, is uh, coinciding with a big upswing in office and house building across Dublin and other urban areas. Now, on the downside, there was falls in agricultural employment, which kind of continues a trend. Um, but interestingly, there was also a fall in employment in professional, scientific and technical activities sector which is perhaps worrying given the emphasis on getting more kids to study science-based subjects. Yeah, it's quite surprising yeah, yeah, as well, surprising, yeah. I would say. Um, but overall, as you say, you know, whether it's 6 or 6.2, that, that unemployment figure, I mean, that that's heading perhaps towards the, that 5% level that I think is the typical number that we say is, in fact, full employment. Yeah. Uh, exactly. So that's going to happen, uh, according to most estimates, uh, it, later this year or in the early part of next year. And of course, then the whole emphasis in a lot of the commentators' narratives is going to be about overheating, because then we have reached uh, full employment. And what happens after that, in theory, is that wages and prices begin to get bid up. And that's going to cause a, a new set of challenges for us. Yes, yeah, so it's quite interesting, because we've just uh, been talking about very high levels of executive pay, uh, chief executive pay in particular, which has been rising at a time that overall wages have been quite subdued, but maybe the signs are now perhaps that (laughs) they won't be subdued for too much longer. And there's people who will point, as you say, to the possible 
negative consequences of that? Yeah, well, I think uh, one of the big global trends at the moment is sluggish wage growth across many sectors. And uh, this, I suppose, is why a lot of people aren't, aren't feeling the, the love, if, if for want of a better phrase, uh, in the fastest growing economy in Europe. And wage growth has been slow in America, it's been slow in the UK, and it's slow here. And it just hasn't kept up with the headline metrics in growth and in uh, employment. So we shouldn't necessarily party like it's 1998. No, I think that'd be a bit premature. Um, so, you know, while, while things like long-term unemployment, which is a very interesting metric, has improved rapidly in the last few years, it's still double uh, the rate that we saw in pre-crash times. So, you know, some of these underlying metrics have improved rapidly, but, uh, you know, they're, they're, we're still not back to where we were uh, before the crash. And that's, uh, I mean, that's an incredibly sort of sad statistic really because that's evidence that perhaps some people fell through a gap that arose um, because of the sharpness of that crash and it never came back to the jobs market. Exactly and the longer you're away from the jobs market the potential for de-skilling and falling out of the the demand sectors is big and therefore in the 1990s uh, we had a big big problem with long-term unemployment that existed and persisted right up into the Celtic Tiger era and largely because a lot of the people that were laid off that time were in the kind of low to uh, media, intermediate skilled manufacturing sector and the new jobs that the Celtic Tiger brought on weren't in those sectors. So they fell to a big gap. So it's goodbye to the quarterly National Household Survey and hello to the Labour Force Survey. But for now, that's it for this week on Inside Business. My thanks to Owen Burke-Kennedy and my earlier guests, Peter Rigney, Tracy Keevans and Mark Paul. This podcast was produced by Jennifer Ryan with JJ Vernon on sound. You can subscribe to it on iTunes or find it at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. A reminder, you can also get the latest business news straight to your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email on irishtimes.com. I'm Laura Slattery. Until next time, goodbye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.